you can have a seat. I can't believe Christmas Eve is here. Back several months back, some of us on staff began thinking and dreaming and about what this uh, afternoon and what this night might be like. And there was so much excitement in the room that first time as ideas began to materialize. And the excitement would build for quite some time until about this past Tuesday. And about this past Tuesday, it dawned on us that um, there's still a thousand details, there's still a thousand parking cones, there's still a thousand signs, there's still programs, there's still a half-baked message. And about Tuesday, the idea was, oh my goodness, Christmas Eve is coming. But, but something happens in this place about noon on this day, for those of us that have been here. And there's this sense that there's going to be this place that fills up with people, some that we've known a long time and some that we, we meet for the first time. But it has become, for us, it's become a special time. I, one thing I love about Christmas is the Christmas lights. We all have our favorite things, but Christmas lights have always grabbed me. There's something about the, the lights and the color that just seems to speak hope to me and speaks joy to me. We have a neighbor that lives right down the street from us. I've got a picture, you're looking at it now, of his house. For the last several years, they have, they have gone all out with lights. I went down uh, one night this week and just said, well, how many lights are there? There are 16,000 plus lights. That's only part of the lights. On the right-hand side, there's a driveway, and then there's another three or 4,000 lights. And, and I told him, I have walked down here, or I've driven down here so many nights and just soaked up your effort. And then I thought about our house that has three lights. And I thought, I, I love lights that other people do even more than lights that I would do. But I love lights at Christmas. And in Scripture... When it speaks of Jesus' birth, so many times there's this thread of light. There's this theme of light. I'll give you some of the examples of it. The most famous Old Testament prophet was the prophet Isaiah. And he would write very famously in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2. He would say, The people who walk in darkness shall see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. And then a few verses later, he would write these words. He would say, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government will rest upon his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And so there's this theme, there's this thread of the prophet Isaiah, 700 years before Jesus' time, of of this theme of light will come and will penetrate the darkness that's there. And then in the Gospels, there are actually three Gospels that that tell the Christmas story. We tend to think of two of them. We think of Matthew often, Matthew 2, verses 1 to 12. Part of that story that unfolds is, is Jesus has been born. In some days, maybe some weeks later, there are some wise men from the east that show up, and they've come a long, long ways. And probably all of you in this room, you probably know what guided them there. There was this bright light, wasn't there? There was this star. There was this bright, shining star in the sky that would guide them from their distant land actually to the the manger or to the presence of Jesus then. And then Luke picks up in his story in Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 20, he he would write about different different details of that event. He would talk about the very night that Jesus was born and placed in a manger. He said there are these shepherds that were in a nearby field, and there were angels that appeared to them. And there's this line he includes that says, and the glory of the Lord shone all around them. In every artist's depiction I've seen of that, there is this light emanating. And the artist is trying to picture there's this divine, there's this holy light that's present there in this place because just the, the birth of Jesus has just been announced among, among a bunch of shepherds and sheep. There's this light that appears. And then there's this other gospel that actually tells the Christmas story, and we don't always 
think of it that way. But in the Gospel of John, in verse 14, he would write this. He would say, Jesus became a human being and full of grace and truth lived among us. It's the birth of Jesus he's talking about, isn't it? It's a Christmas story. Jesus would become a human being and full of grace and truth. He would live among us. And the verses that precede that, I want to go back to verse 1 of that, tell so much about Jesus and then bring back this powerful theme of light again. And in these verses, John will write, and when you read it in your Bible, you'll see frequently he's using the term the word, the word, the word. And he means Jesus when he says that. And so just for clarity for us, I've, I've replaced where he says the word. I put Jesus in. And this is what he would write. John 1, 1 through 5. In the beginning, Jesus already existed. Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. Jesus gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. There's so much packed into that. It, it says that Jesus' existence didn't begin 2,000 years ago that first Christmas. It says he has always existed. He is God the Son. He's existed from eternity past. It says when God the Father was creating the universe, it says God the Father created everything through Jesus the Son. And so he was, he was a co-creator with the Father of everything in existence and then it says every single life God created through Jesus, which means every single one of us in this room, the one that actually made us was God the Son was Jesus himself. And then it, it concludes that little section by saying uh, he brings light, and the light he brings shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. So there's this thread, there's this metaphor that Scripture uses about, about light and darkness. And a metaphor, is, a metaphor takes something that's physical and refers to something that's non-physical. Or it takes something that's tangible and gives insight to something that's intangible. And so in this case, when Scripture speaks about light and darkness, metaphorically, there are two primary things that Scripture's meaning by that. One is, is just simply illumination. So there's, this, there's physical light like we have right now, and there's enough of it that it illuminates this room, and I, I can see a bunch of you, and I can see the chairs, and I can see where the aisles are, and if I wanted to exit, I could see where the exit would be because there's this illumination of the physical. But, but so often, Scripture's think, thinking and speaking of so much more, it means, it means there can be some illumination of your inner life and your inner world. There can be illumination of, of your heart and illumination of your motive and illumination of your emotions. It can be so confusing at times. It means there can be illumination about relationships between you and a spouse or you and a parent or you and a child or you and a friend or you and a co-worker. So there can be this, this illumination that, that really shows what's really happening in relationships. There can be illumination about one's work and about what it means and why it matters and how it can be done. There can be illumination about one's finances. There can be illumination about all kinds of things that, that physical light doesn't tell you anything about. That's what the Bible is talking about often when it talks about light and darkness. And then there's one more piece of the metaphor, and that is that, that is, um, light is a metaphor for goodness as compared to darkness, which is a metaphor for evil. Light, when it speaks of light, often it's referring to, to goodness or righteousness or perfection as compared to evil. Now, I think the people, 
years back, you know, 2,000 years back when the New Testament was written, I think they understood the metaphor better because they actually lived in light and darkness. And, and we don't live in darkness very much. Years back, our two sons were teenagers, and we decided to take a big spring break vacation. So we asked them where they wanted to go, and they had several options. I think one was South Padre Island, so I made a note. It's the coast, coast of South Texas. And I think one maybe been Myrtle Beach, so I thought, okay, the coast of South Carolina. One was some California beach, okay, the coast of California. There was a Mexico beach, okay, coast. It just seemed like they just wanted to be on the coast someplace. It didn't matter where. So we went to Beaumont for a week. If you're not from Texas, then you have no idea what that meant. It meant that at the end of the year, there would be no votes for favorite parents at the end of that year for us. So we spend this week in Beaumont. Um, by the way, most places at spring break prices go up, Beaumont prices go down. Uh, someday it's going to catch on. It's going to be a hot destination. So we're in Beaumont for this whole week, and I began to realize there's not a lot to do there. My wife found the Thomas Edison Museum there. And so we go to the Thomas Edison Museum, and we realized that he had over a 1,000 patents and all these inventions that impacted lives. And we realized he invented the phonograph, which was the first ability of humankind to ever record sound. So for the first time a human voice was recorded, he made that. We discovered he made the very first motion picture. And as one who loves movies, I realized that that had great impact. But, but the central thing that he ever invented was the incandescent light bulb. Because the incandescent light bulb could dispel darkness. It could push back the darkness. And, and you and I have lived in this whole era of past Edison's time. And most of us don't experience hardly any darkness. You know the only darkness I experience? I lay down on my bed. I turn off the lamp by my bed. And I close my eyes. And even then, my wife Marie's put a night light in the room. So I won't trip over something if I get up during the night. That, that's all the darkness we experience. And so maybe to get some sense of how great the contrast is, I want us to experience just less than two minutes of darkness in this room. Don't panic, okay? Uh, nothing's going to happen. It's just going to be dark. I'm going to talk a little bit. I'll be so captivating. The time will fly by, so don't panic about this. But it's going to get dark, and I want you to, to ponder the impact of what darkness is, not just the physical, but these metaphorical darknesses as well. So if you guys could make it dark for us. Okay, imagine now, okay, physical light is largely gone. Imagine now if you needed to exit this room. Imagine how difficult that would be. If it's all you'd ever known, if this was all you'd ever experienced, you would find a way. It would be cumbersome. It'd be difficult. You would step on toes. You'd make people angry. You'd fall on someone's lap, but, but you would find a way, but it'd be very, very difficult. But scripture speaks about, metaphorically, about, about our inner world. And says, so often we actually, we're in this kind of darkness. We have no idea what's really going on inside of us. We have no idea of our motives. We have no understanding of our emotions. We have no idea of the condition of our hearts. We live in darkness. Scripture says so often that relationally we live in this kind of darkness as well. There's a relationship that matters so much to us. Maybe it's a romantic one, or maybe it's a family one, or maybe it's a friendship one, and but, but we can be so in the dark about, about what's really going on in that relationship and how to navigate it and how to make it strong and healthy and all it's meant to be. And Scripture talks about in other areas of our life, we live in this kind of darkness. So often in the work that we're in, we have no clue. And so we answer an alarm clock another day. We make a commute another day. We punch a clock another day. We have no clue what it's really all about in the bigger picture. 
and financially and on and on and on. That's just, that's just the illumination picture. Scripture says this is often how we live. And then there's this picture of, of goodness and evil. And Scripture says that the very best one in this room is living in this condition the rooms are now. There, there's some light in the room. There's some that's bleeding in. There's still some light in this room. And there's still some threads of being made in the image of God. But Scripture says this is how we, we live in terms of real goodness and real sin. This is how we live. And then it says Jesus is the light. So if you guys could bring the lights back up. This is, this is the contrast. And, and this says that Jesus, everything is illuminated by his light. Everything is. He made everything. He made you. He made me. Everything is illuminated by his light. It means that there's nothing that, that isn't fully revealed by him and to him. He understands everything about you. Everything about you. Everything about your relationships, he understands in fullness. Everything about your work world and your financial world and everything. Every, everything in, in existence is illuminated by him and to him. Nothing is dark to him. And when it comes to to goodness and evil, he is the one who is perfect goodness. He is the one who is all righteous, completely righteous. He is all of that. And this is so important. Some of you are here for this next thing I'm going to say. Hey, this is, this is representing the light of Jesus. The light of Jesus is not the, the harsh light of condemnation. The light of Jesus is the light of love. Let me say it again. This is so important that you understand this. The light of Jesus is not the harsh light of condemnation. It is the light of love. In the Gospel of John, when he, he gives that one sentence about, about that very first, about Christmas Day, he says that Jesus became human and filled with grace and truth lived among us. Filled with grace and truth. Grace means that you get some kind of, you get an undeserved kindness given to you. Someone extends unearned kindness to you. And it says that Jesus is full of grace. It means he, have, he has the completeness of all grace in him. It means he extends this stunning, to us, this irrational grace to us. And not only does, is he full of grace, and this is so important, because he wouldn't be perfect love if the other half of that weren't true, he's also full of truth. He's full of grace, which gives us stunning, undeserved kindness, but he's full of truth. And it's so important that, that he be that way toward us. I'll give you a simple, real Christmas example. I don't remember the year, but it was, it was Christmas, and I was about this big, and I tasted pecan pie for the first time. And I decided it was the best thing I'd ever tasted and nothing else was ever close. And, and in my level of knowledge I had at that age, uh, I, I, I realized that there was no purpose in ever eating anything else in one's life other than pecan pie. And so my message to my mother and my push to my mother was anything that doesn't have anything to do with making pecan pie, get it out of the pantry, throw it away, give it to goodwill, whatever, not goodwill. Do you take food to go? Wherever you take that stuff, get, get it out of here. Because why would we ever eat anything other than pecan pie? Because nothing tastes like this. And fortunately, my parents didn't have just much grace, which meant I got to survive a lot of years. But, but they brought truth. And she said something to the effect. She probably said, it's bad for you. And 
Something to the effect, if we, if we did what you want, the quality and length of our lives would be less. That's, that's why it's so crucial that if someone loves you, that they bring truth. So it says that Jesus is full of grace, and he's full of truth. In John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11, it tells this profound story. And it could have, could have been any of us. Maybe the circumstances and details we changed could have been any of us. But, but there's this person who has committed a hey, horrific sin. Uh, the sin has damaged this individual, and it, it's damaged some others. Maybe it's destroyed the lives of some other people. And it was so horrific that this, this sin, this crime, would, would bring the death sentence. And so Jesus happens upon this scene, and there are people that are going to execute this individual, and he stops them. And he says, you can proceed, but only if, if you yourself have never sinned, you can proceed. Only someone who's never sinned can proceed and, and can carry out this punishment upon this person. And, and the people stop, and they ponder, and of course, they realize they have all sinned as well. And, and of course, also, as they're disappearing, Jesus knows he's the only one that meets the criteria to kill this person. They deserve it. He's got the criteria. He's never sinned. But what does he do? He says, I, I, don't, I don't condemn you to death. Filled with grace. But then he says, now, you have to understand this. That you cannot continue to live this way with this sin. It will destroy your soul. It will destroy others. You cannot live this way. Filled with truth. Filled with truth. And the very next line in Scripture, which is verse 12, says this. Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. Right on the heels of that, when Scripture records this event of, of full of grace and full of truth, and the next words are, he's saying, I am the light of the world, and if you follow me, and this is very important, to understand this, because follow, to follow someone now might be to follow someone on Twitter. That's at one level of followership, right? Or maybe it's to stalk someone, which is a whole different way to follow someone. Or maybe it's to, to admire someone and follow their life and maybe even try to imitate their life. That's not, none of that is what Jesus means. He means something much, much deeper than that. He means to follow him means that, that you will actually give him leadership of your life. You will give him lordship of your life. You will make him king of your life. He's saying, if you actually, if you will yield the rulership of your life to me, then he says, you won't have to walk in darkness because you'll have the light that leads to life. No longer have to walk in darkness again. And I find myself thinking again about the times I need to understand what's going on here. I need to understand what's going on here. I need to understand what's going on, all, all these aspects of my life. And he is the one that... He is one that illuminates all of reality, all of reality in one's world. And so when someone, by the way, the most common command that Jesus gave while he walked the planet was follow me. It's the most common command he ever gave was follow me. And what happens when someone begins a new life of following Jesus, what happens is, is one's sins are completely forgiven and there's this brand new life that begins, and if you can catch the, the importance of this, the significance of this, 
Scripture says very clearly that, that the one who occupied, who took up residence in the manger on the very first Christmas, takes up residence in your life. Let me say it again. The one who, who took up residence in a manger 2,000 years ago, when you begin to follow him, when you say to him, I will make you Lord of my life. I, will, I want you to call the shots. I will make you king in my life. I want to follow you. In some supernatural way, as only God could do, he takes up residence within you, begins to live within you. And so, when you're navigating life and you're recognizing on your own that, that there's so much that's not illuminated, he's living within you. And in this, in this relationship with him, he is the one that begins to illuminate the inner world and the relational world in, in every aspect of life. And he is the one that begins to transform you where you become bit by bit, step by step, more like him and his goodness, step by step, day by day, month by month, year by year, more and more in his goodness. I, I never quite realized why I love Lights at Christmas so much until these last several weeks as I've been pondering this. And I realized the lights, they do represent hope to me and joy to me. But I realize they represent that not just because they're colorful and they're attractive, but because they, they remind me that Jesus is the light of the world. And like many of you in this room, I, I know what it's like for him to have residence within me. I know what it's like. I know what it's like to follow him. I know the change of that. Many, many of you in this room, you know that as well. And, and indeed, in him, there is so much hope and there's so much joy in him. Because living within me and within many of you is the light of the world. Living within me and within many of you is the one who is full of grace and full of truth. And many of you in this room, this Christmas Eve could be the day that that new life begins. It's not complicated, but it is profound. He's saying, apart from me, apart from me, you will live in darkness. But he says, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you will no longer have to walk in darkness again because you will have the light that brings light to you. At the harbor, this is the 19th Christmas Eve. We've had services, and everyone, we've had this tradition of, of handing, having a candle lighting at the end, and the significance of it is, is, is we all have a chance to have a, a candle in our hand, and we have a chance to, uh, to raise it to this king who has lived forever, eternity past, but entered this planet 2,000 years ago and resided in a manger on that given night to, to raise this light to him, acknowledging he is the light of the world. And in raising it, gives us this chance to express gratitude to him, and thanksgiving to him, and celebration to him, and above all, worship to him. And so in, in just a few minutes' time, we're going to have that chance again. And a lot of you, you're resonating with what I'm saying, but some of you, some of you, this is what might happen. Even, even in the candle lighting, even in the candle raising, for some of you, I mean, this could be you saying to him, I am giving you leadership. I'm inviting you, the light of the world, to take up residence in me and lead my life and be the light of my life, and bring full grace and full truth into my life. He is the light of the world. Uh, when we conclude the candlelight that will begin in a few moments, we're going to let this place go dark just one more brief time before we conclude this service. Father in heaven, 
we thank you for your son, and we thank you for sending him to this planet. We thank you that we don't have to know him from a distance. We thank you that he lived and walked on this planet. We thank you that he died for us and rose for us. We thank you that he's here now, as he always is. And Father, may, may this day, may we all be profoundly struck by who your son is and what he brings. May we be profoundly struck by the good news that he is the light of the world who illuminates everything. He is the light of the world who is perfect in pure goodness. Father, may we, may we respond so appropriately from our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm-hmm.